Well, if you would, take your Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 1 in your Bible. Kids, pre-K through first grade, if you all want to head toward Elevate, you're going to be over here. If this is your first time here and you have a pre-K through first grader and they'd like to be a part of a children's church time, happens right behind this, this wall over here. And so, love for them to go and go and be a part of that. Thankful to have Jordan and Jarrett back with us. These guys are students over at OBU, and they grew up under the ministry of Steve Dighton. And some of you got to know Steve during the pastor transition time here at, at Emmaus, and Steve invested in this church, and we got to know Jordan and Jarrett, and so thankful for the way they come spiritually and musically prepared. Their desire not to just get up here and sing songs, but Hey, can we teach new songs? Can we make sure we've seen songs that your folks know because they want you to be engaged in musical worship? And so thankful to have, to have those guys with us. A couple of things I want to point out before Preston uh, reads our scripture for this morning. On the tables that you might have seen toward the, uh, uh, as you were coming in, the, these main doors, and they'll be available on your way out. There's a couple of things that you can pick up if you were not here last week. The first is an oversized bookmark. And it's designed to guide you through our study in Joshua. And so there are scriptures there that you can write out in your personal journal. We also have provided a journal for you if you would like to take that. Elementary kids, make sure you use one of these. Make sure you grab one of these journals. Uh, the material in this journal matches this bookmark. They're not different. It's not different text or different material. They're meant to go together. This you can just either give to someone or you can put in your Bible. This is if you would like to use it as a personal journal to write out Scripture. We want during the week to be writing the verses. You could see mine that I have written, even though you couldn't write, read the handwriting. Uh, even if you were up close, you couldn't read the handwriting. But uh, just what it means to sit down and write out God's word, to meditate on it. There are scriptures that we're seeking to memorize together as a church. Next Sunday morning, we're going to work on Joshua 1, 8 through 9 during our time here. So this week, work through some of that. Practice putting that, those verses uh, in your heart and in your mind. And so if you did not... Even if you're here just as a guest, as a one-time guest, and you say, well, I'm not going to be able to be back here, take one of these. Take one of these. We'd love for you to have one of these as a gift and to be able to utilize this in your personal uh, time, your personal scripture reading time. So I want you to know what is available. It's designed for three days during the week. Uh, someone asked me, do I have to do it all three days in a row? No, the reason we have three days is uh, we realize you may have another Bible reading plan Maybe three days of scripture is a huge step. You're going from zero to three. And so this isn't 30 minutes a day, six days a week, or anything like that. The reason it's three days is you pick the three days that would work best uh, for you. So anyway, that's what those are. Preston Whitmill, uh, many of you know, but he is one of our youth interns right now. He's a college student. And I've asked Preston to come up and read Joshua 1 for us this morning. So if you take out your Bible or phone, we're going to read Joshua 1. Preston is going to pray for us after that, and then we're going to jump right into a study of God's Word. So Preston, let me grab my Bible, and you start reading. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses, from the wilderness... And this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, 
All the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp, and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan and to go into the possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word of the the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men, men of, the, of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land and the Lord your God is giving to them. Then you will turn to the land that of your possession, and you shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death, only be strong and courageous. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for um, bringing everybody who was able to make it to church today here. And uh, I thank you that uh, we freely can come and worship you um, as a congregation. And I pray that you use Owen today um, to teach your scripture to us um, and understand the cohesiveness of your word and how it all um, binds together. And I pray that we can write it on the tablets of our heart like you tell us to, um, Joshua 1, 8 through 9. And I pray that uh, we just have a good church service today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, man. So let me ask you a question as, as we look at Joshua 1 again this week. Do you believe God is good? Do you believe that God desires good for his people? Now, on the surface of that, I think we would say, we would say yes. There, there are some people who don't struggle with this at all. Um, the, the opposite concern there might be pride or struggling with the realization of need of God's forgiveness, that sort of thing. But I think when you look across Christianity, and especially when you look at people that maybe have some sort of church background or religion background, sometimes we struggle with the idea that God desires good for his people. And we run up against scriptures like Joshua 1 where it says things like success or prosperity. And we back away from that a little bit because we say, oh, how, how could God desire those? Does God really want those things for me? You say, well, where do you see this? Owen? Are you really, really sure this is the case? Well, I hate to break it to you, but oftentimes we are not the funnest people ever. Um, 
I know, that's not true of you, but uh, you know, you just look across and this idea that we would experience life abundantly, the idea that we would be full of joy and energy, the idea that God would desire good and prosperity for his people isn't always represented uh, among the people of God. And you look at churches and we see a church that maybe is very energetic or there's a lot of excitement or, and immediately we think, oh, well, they're just shallow. You know, maybe, maybe not, but we have to be really careful there that we are looking at the speck in their eye and missing the plank in, in our own eye. Because when the Spirit of God is at work among the people of God, we will experience the goodness of God. We will know what success looks like. We will know what prosperity looks like. And you say, oh, and what road are you, what road are you going down here? I realize that the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel that sometimes we talk about, I realize that's, that's a total sham complete rejection of the gospel. But don't forget, and we've said this before, the prosperity gospel is a sham, but the gospel is always prosperous. The good news of Jesus should bring life to the people of God. Last week, we established that the message of Joshua takes us from death to life, that we have to confront the reality of death, that death is all over the pages of Joshua, death is all over the pages of Scripture, and yet life reigns through Christ. And so God's plan is to take his people from death to life. Sometimes in Christian language, we call that salvation, that we have been saved from death and we have been brought into life. But here's what I would beg you to see this morning as the people of God. God not only takes his people from death to life, God takes his people from life to abundant life. And too often we are satisfied merely with that first I've been saved. God's taken me from death to life, and then we sit in that reality, not realizing what God wants to do through the people of God, not realizing the goodness and success and prosperity, and hang with me, we'll define those words in a second, but not realizing all of those things that God wants to do through his people. And so what we're going to establish this morning is what does it look like not only to go from death to life, but what does it look like to go from life to abundant life? When you sit there, and this is okay to ask this question, probably we should ask this question more often. When you sit there and think, is this really all that being a Christian is meant to be? I mean, what does it mean to be a Christian? What are we aiming at here? And if you're here and you're not a Christian, but you're here this morning curious, maybe you're here out of respect to, to be with someone, one of your struggles might be that you look at people who are Christians and you simply think to yourself, if that is abundant life, yeah, you know, leave me out of it. Like, if, is that really what it looks like for the God of the universe to transform someone's life? And so we're going to talk this morning about God not only taking us from death to life, but God taking us from life to abundant life. The God who saves, and this is on your notes, this is kind of our big idea that we're trying to hold together this morning. The God who saves promises and provides abundant life. And we're going to break this down into three parts. We're going to talk about the word abundant, so we're all on the same page there. What does it look like for God to promise and provide those things? And then at the end, how do we live out that life? So we're going to use the phrase abundant life twice in your notes, emphasizing different words. But we're going to, we're going to follow that pattern. Here's how we're going to begin in part one with the idea of abundant life. What does abundance look like? Well, in the book of Joshua, it's all about land. The book of Joshua if you're laying it out, trying to summarize it in one word, I like the word salvation, but honestly, the word is probably land. The book of Joshua, chapters 1 through 4, are about entering the land. 5 through 12 are about conquering the land. 13 to 21 are about dividing up the land. 
22 to 24 about making a covenant for the land or commitment to live in the land. So you enter the land, you conquer the land, you divide up the land, and then you live in the land. That's how the book of Joshua is laid out in, in those four parts. And so for the book of Joshua, all of God's abundance is summed up in the fact that he is bringing his people into the land. Now, what does that have to do with Scripture? And, and Preston even prayed that just a second ago. What does it have to do with the cohesiveness of Scripture, the way Scripture fits together? Well, you have to go back to the book of Genesis, and specifically to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, when God is creating the heavens and the earth. Look at Genesis 2.15 with me just for a second um, on the screen. Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. From the very beginning of Scripture, God's plan has been that he would place his people in his land so they would live fully for him. That's it. He established this land. He created this world where he would put them and they would live for his glory. They did not do that. They rebelled against him. They sinned against him. So what happens? Well, Genesis 3, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground. So this land that God had provided for the people, they rebel against him, start to live for their own purposes, and so they are sent out of this land. You fast forward to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, you reach the story of Abraham. And, and you'll see this story paralleled in Genesis chapter 15 as well. In fact, Genesis 15 might be more of a core passage about land, but, but look at Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, and your kindred, and your father's house, to the land. To the land is a huge theological statement in Genesis chapter 12. Go to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So God's promise, God's plan, his covenant through Abraham is that he is going to bring his people into the land that he has set aside. He's saying, you're going to live here as my people. And ultimately, they have to go through this time of exodus in Egypt, but they're brought into the land, and we see that in the book of Joshua. Then after they live there for a while, what happens? They rebel against God, and something called the exile in the Old Testament happens. It happens in two stages, but the people are moved out of the land. And when you read the end of your Old Testament, and you read those prophets, the reason the emotions are running so high is because they're trying to make sense of what it looks like for God's people to no longer be in that land. And then they're trying to make sense of how do we live as God sends us back to that land. Well, you fast forward to the New Testament. What happens with the coming of Jesus with this idea of land? Well, what you find in the New Testament very quickly, and don't miss this, what you find because, whew, we start to jump off into so, some social and political waters really quickly, okay? What you find in the New Testament is that God's plan for his people will not be tied to a particular geographic land. God's plan for his people is that the kingdom of God would come on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer uh, that, that maybe you memorized as a kid if you, if you had any of a church background. or um, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's plan for his people through Christ is that the kingdom of God would be re-engaged with the earth so that his purposes, his values, his plans would be lived out here on earth, not in one particular area that maybe the Old Testament would call the promised land, but on the earth that God's kingdom would come, become known. You see this reflected at the end of Matthew. Matthew 28, all authority in heaven on earth. What area 
does Jesus reign as Lord over? The entire heavens and earth. There's no place that he is not Lord over. So what does he say? He says, go and make disciples of all nations. It's no longer go into the promised land and live as my people so you can be a light for the nations, which was the case in the Old Testament. Now it's go into the nations because you will take my light to those nations. Living in my land no longer means living in this particular pocket. It means how do you live as the kingdom of God throughout the world? Which means that the kingdom of God is at work in North Korea. Which means that the kingdom of God is at work in Puerto Rico. Which means that the kingdom of God is at work in Israel. Which means that the kingdom of God is at work in the United States. There is no particular geographic region that has any sort of special place, promise, role right now as God's kingdom is coming on earth. God is at work through his people, through the church, that as the church we would be an embassy, we would be an outpost of the kingdom of God at work in this world. And through that land, through living in this world, we would show people this is what it looks like to experience God's abundance. This is what it looks like to experience the life that God has laid out for his people. The church of Jesus Christ is this outpost, it's this embassy that is showing the world this is what God is going to do. This is what God's kingdom looks like. This is how God's at work among his people because it's pointing ahead to Revelation 21. So we go from the Garden of Eden through the covenant with Abraham to the coming of Jesus, pointing ahead to Revelation 21, where I see a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So we are looking ahead to how God will establish his people in his land, in his renewed land, to live fully at his people. So what do we have? In the book of Joshua, we get a picture of God's people living in his land. In the New Testament, specifically beginning with the book of Acts, this is pretty cool. We mentioned this on Wednesday night, but don't miss this. In the Old Testament, the book of Joshua follows from those first five books of the Old Testament called the Law. So God establishes the law, shows his character, and then the book of Joshua says, this is what it looks like to go live that out. In the New Testament, you have the four Gospels at the beginning of the New Testament, followed by the book of Acts. God showing his character, God showing his work among his people, and then the book of Acts is how do you go live this out? Joshua mirrors, mirrors the law in the New Testament the way the book of Acts mirrors the Gospels. And so this is what it looks like to live as the people of God. What does it look like to live as the people of God? Well, I've given you two words on your notes. And these are words that you would probably not normally use but I've put them in there on purpose because I think if we use words we're not used to, sometimes it tweaks things in our minds that we wouldn't have thought of otherwise. So there's two descriptors that I want you to go home with, and I'm not particularly concerned that you remember these two words, but I think they're helpful because these two words give us a picture from the book of Joshua, and they really give us a picture from the whole New Testament of what does it look like to live the abundant life. The first is the word shalom, which we tie in with that Old Testament Hebrew word of peace and wholeness and harmony. So we're going to use that word first. And the second is the word flourishing. Uh, you know, say what you might about my pick of words. I was trying hard here. But uh, flourishing is this idea of abundance or overflowing or fruitfulness. If I was going to describe 
What does it look like to live the abundant life as the people of God? What does it look like to experience success, prosperity, goodness? It would be shalom, and it would be flourishing. And I want you to see that I didn't just randomly make those words up. So here's where shalom comes from. You're not going to find the exact word, but if you look in verse 6 in your Bible of Joshua chapter 1, you're going to see a phrase there in the middle of verse 6 where it says, Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Then skip down to verse 11. You skip down to verse 11. Prepare provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. What, what's happening there, these words for inherit and take possession, it's the idea of to come in and settle an area to make it your home. If you've lived or ever lived in a situation where you were having to stay a while in a place that was not really your home, either it was a transitional place because you were waiting for your house to be ready, or maybe you were in between places to live and so you were living with someone else, or you were living in some place that you knew was temporary, or you move into a new home and everything is scattered around, the boxes are scattered, you just feel out of place. Amanda and I have lived a lot of places in, in our years of marriage. Uh, not saying that, I mean, the Lord's been gracious and he's led us a lot of places, but we've had a lot of random three months stay here, three months live here. When your stuff is scattered, when it's not your home, your whole life feels scattered. Your whole life feels kind of in disarray. Like, how do I establish myself here? How do I make this home? How do I live in such a way that there's security and peace. It feels like when boxes are scattered around your house, like your blood pressure just lives at a higher level because you don't have that settled nature. You don't have, this is home, I can, I can be here. And so what God is telling the people is he's telling them, go into this land and make it your home. Occupy it, inherit it, settle it. What's going to be the result of that? Look in verse 13. You get down to verse 13, and this word shows up multiple times in Joshua. But remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. The people of God are to be characterized by stability, by peace, by harmony, by rest. When you live in a world that is completely chaotic, when people are blown here and there by every new YouTube video that comes or every new sensation that pops onto social media and our lives feel scattered, our lives feel in disarray, and you're able to rest, you're able to have stability and peace and harmony and shalom, not based on your own power, but based on God's work in your life, that is showing what the abundant life looks like. God's goodness is shown into the world when we are people of peace in a chaotic society. When we say, you know what, I have rest. Yeah, I'm going to go to work. I don't want to work my tail off. And yeah, we're involved in a lot of things. And yeah, we have all this going on. But we do it from a place of rest because I do not have to achieve my salvation. I do not have to gain identity for myself. I do not have to gain God's love. He has shown his love for me, and I rest deeply in that. And it gives me this foundation to be able to live the good life that God has set out there. So one of the things that characterizes the people of God is just this peace in the midst of chaos, this, this shalom. The second thing is the word flourishing, and it shows up with a couple of words. Look back in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7. 
Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 says, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded. And look specifically at the end of 7. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. That word success shows up again at the end of verse 8. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The word success in the Old Testament, in Hebrew there, it's a word connected to the idea of wisdom or skillfulness. What does it mean to be successful? This is where we get taken the wrong direction sometime in modern day church life. Being successful has no, no relationship with material gains. It has no connection with personal advancement and career. It's not talking about those things. Success in scripture is about wisdom and skillfulness. Do I know who God has created me to be and do I know how to live this out? Where you find it is you find it at the beginning of Proverbs. The same word shows up in Proverbs chapter one, verse three, and I think I have that up on the, on the screen. Proverbs chapter one, verse three, to show wisdom or to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in success. The word for success in Joshua is the same word in Proverbs 1-3 for wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. What does it mean to be successful in the people of God? It means to live wisely in God's world, becoming skilled in how he's called you to live. A successful person in God's kingdom is someone who is wise and skillful. They know who God's created them to be, and they know how to live that out. How do I gain that wisdom? Very self-serving moment here. You can go back and look at our Proverbs sermon series uh, that we did that's still available on, online. Better yet, pick up the book of Proverbs and read it for yourself. The book of Proverbs is God's gift for how to live out the success talked about in Joshua 1. Those two ideas are meant to go together and they're tied together by, by this reality. Joshua 1 also talks about another word, not just success, but specifically it mentions in verse 8, it says, then you will make your way prosperous. That word prosperous is the idea of advancement or progress. It shows up in Psalm chapter 1 verse 3. So Proverbs 1 verse 3 was the word for success, wisdom. Psalm chapter 1 verse 3 is the word for prosperity. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, and that continues on in parallel, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Prosperity in Joshua 1 is related to this idea of how does the worshiping people of God bear fruit. If you're not a Christian, I realize I talked about people bearing fruit. That feels weird. It's all over the pages of the Bible, though, and that's why I'm trying to use this word flourishing. How do you live in such a way that God works in your life so that you are able to live for his glory and the good of others? God's people should be successful. They should be wise and skillful. God's people should be prosperous. They should be fruitful. They should live in such a way that they are able to grow up in order to benefit others, in order to live for God's glory and the good of others. What does it look like to experience God's goodness? You have shalom, peace, stability, and you have flourishing. God is working in and through your life in such a way that you impact those around you, impact the world around you. How does this happen? This is part two on your notes. 
How does God promise and provide shalom and flourishing, peace and fruitfulness? How does he do that? He does it through his presence and through his power. Look back at verse 5. Look back at verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. God says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. If you like to write in your Bible, next to just as I was with, just as I was with Moses, you write Exodus 3. What is happening here is God's encounter with Moses at the burning bush where he promises to be with him is being reiterated for Joshua so he would be reminded that the way he's going to experience this work in his life is when God is with him. He must have God's presence. Look down in verse 9. I think you see this repeated again in verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Remember the Garden of Eden? What's so amazing about that? God is walking with Adam and Eve. Good night. He's walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. He's with them. He's present with them. What's God's promise to Abraham? I'll be with you. Jesus. Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with you. What does Jesus promise through the Holy Spirit? His presence with his people. What's the promise of Revelation 21? Not just that the new heaven and new earth would come, but that God would be with his people, that he would be their God and they would be his people. All throughout scripture, the greatest gift we have and the only hope we have to be the people of God is the presence of God. This is why the prosperity gospel is a sham. Because if you received anything of goodness apart from the presence of God, it was never good to begin with. You could have all the wealth in the world, you could have all the success in the world, you could have all the advancement in the world, you could make all the impact you wanted in the world, and if it was ever divided from the presence of God, it was never good to begin with. The only hope we have as the people of God is the presence of God. What you're going to find out in Joshua is when they try to fight battles without the presence of God, they get destroyed. When they go with the presence of God, God accompanies him, he leads him, he empowers them, Nothing we do in our lives matters at all apart from the presence of God, God with his people. We must have that. If we do anything as a church apart from the presence of God, anything of our own standing, it matters at, not at all. It, it carries no weight, no power apart from his presence, which leads us to the next part, not only God's presence, but God's power. Where you see this starting to show up is you go back to verse 2, just for a second. You go back to verse 2. It says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them. Something you can do in Joshua chapter 1 that's pretty fun is you go through and you try to find all the references to I will give, will give, am giving, will give to you. I believe it's something like seven or eight times in Joshua 1. What God is showing is it's his power that's going to bring the success. It's his power that's going to bring the victories. These people are not going out to win these victories on their own. They know they must have God's presence and they must have God's power. God will give of himself. He will give what is necessary. 
you say, that sounds kind of familiar. It does. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Where is God's power found? It's found in the gifts that he gives us. That he has given us all that is necessary for life and godliness. And it's found through Jesus Christ. You say, I want to be successful. I want to be wise. I want to be prosperous. Guess what? God wants you to be those things too. What's the avenue to that? It's his presence and his power. Him with you and him providing all that you need. So how do you do this? How do you do this? Well, this gets to the last part of the sermon. There are three things. Faith, word, and church. How has God laid out in Joshua 1 that people would experience these things? Through courageous, strong faith, through meditating on and obeying the word, and through uniting with the people of God. Now, if you were in a bad mood, and you may be this morning, so don't take this literally, you'd be okay if you wanted to throw something at me at this point, because you would say, Owen, come on, anything to hold on to. Those, you always come back to faith, word, the church. Like, anything new? Nope. Nope, that's it. That's what God's word is laid out. I don't have any tricks for you. I hope you'll spend time in your small group. I hope you'll spend time personally reflecting what does it look like to live out that faith? What does it look like to engage with God's word? What does it look like to be a part of the church? But I refuse to give you anything beyond what God's word has already given us. How are we going to experience God's presence? How are we going to experience God's power? When you live by faith, when you commit yourself to his word, and when you engage with the people of God. Let me show you how this shows up. So in Joshua 1, famous phrases, be strong and courageous, shows up multiple times. Look uh, back in verse 6. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Going on to verse 7, be strong and very courageous. <laughs> so not just strong and courageous, strong and very courageous at this point. Uh, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Jump down to verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Sometimes you learn that verse. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. This idea that God is calling his people to live by faith. This unshakable, never giving up, faith saying, I must trust the Lord. How am I going to experience God's power? How am I going to experience God's presence in my life? You continue to trust him day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. This faith, this strong and courageous faith is not a one-time endeavor. What God is telling Joshua is that he will go into the promised land and he will need to continue to be strong and courageous each day. He's not gonna, it's not a one-time act. It's something that he's going to continue to be called back to. And if we are not living by faith, we are missing the abundant, prosperous, good, successful life that God has called us to live. And so I just ask you just for a moment in a very kind of abstract sort of way, are you living by faith? Is your life characterized by strong, courageous faith in the things of God? Or do you consistently find yourself sucked back into what you can see, touch, feel, handle on your own? Do you live by faith? Because when you live by faith, you find yourself right in the middle of God's presence. Right in the middle of God's power. Because he's doing in your life what you can never do on your own. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we living by faith? 
The second thing, are we committed to God's word? Go back to verse 7. Verse 7 says to be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Skipping down to verse 8, this is the verse we're going to memorize this week. Skipping down to verse 8, the verse I want you to try hard to memorize. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. That we would come, what does it mean to meditate on God's word? It means the idea that just like faith, it's not one and done. That I need to continue to come back to scripture. I need to continue to think about these things because if I don't, I'll forget, I'll miss things, it won't be shaping my life. Uh, there's a group of guys that we do a email Bible reading plan during the week and we're just reading one chapter uh, a week but I come back to those things, and those guys are making observations. They're sharing them. They're talking about God's work in their lives. I'm having to read back through this. I could open up 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tomorrow when we get the email, and I could say, I've already read that before. I don't need that again. Oh, no, I definitely do because I'll do something dumb between now and tomorrow morning. I can guarantee you. I need to meditate on God's word. I need to continue to place into my heart and my mind. Why am I going to sit down and write scripture this week? in this journal we're using because I desperately need to be reminded of the power of God's word. I need to meditate on it. I need to think about it. I know what I normally meditate on and it's not particularly life-giving. And so I need God's word to shape my heart, to shape my mind. So what do we do as a church? We commit to live by faith. We commit to live by the word of God. And then finally, skip down to verse 10. We've kind of skipped out on these verses. They've, they've not getting a lot of love, but look down in verse 10. Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you're to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. To the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now these tribes, we're going to talk about this in weeks to come, these tribes were given the land east of the Jordan River. If that doesn't bring up a clear picture in your mind, don't worry, you can find a map or we'll look at it in weeks to come. They'd be given the land on the east side and now they're being asked to go to the west. They're being asked to leave their land temporarily. Why? Verse 13, remember the word that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you. The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you. So they're going to stay there. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also, they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. What you're finding here is in the book of Joshua, as the people advance, they're not allowed to go anybody way out in front of another. They're advancing as a group because God wants them to see that his power is found when they are united in a common cause. When they are united and they are on mission together as the people of God, then God does his work of victory. Then God does his work of bringing them into the land that he's called them to inhabit, to settle, to find their rest. There's no idea of one tribe says, hey, forget you, we're going to be Sooners and run into the land. Ah, I use Sooners. Let's see, got that in there. We're not going to run into the land early 
and leave you guys behind. We're not going to do that. We are going together. As the people of God, experiencing the presence of God and the power of God, we do that together. Here's what happens sometimes. If we're not careful, we think, you know what? I'm doing pretty well spiritually. I know that person over there is struggling, but I'm sure God will figure it out, you know, but, but I, I'm, I'm doing okay. Or, you know, my family, we're, we're in a pretty good spot. It hasn't always been true. We've gone through our struggles, but we're in a pretty good spot, and so we're just going to, you know, make sure we're okay right now. Or we do this as churches. As long as our church is healthy, we could care less about the health of another church because maybe if we're lucky, some of those people would come over and join us and we'll get bigger and, and healthier. God's plan for his presence and power to be at work to bring goodness and success and prosperity is when we are united together as the people of God. And we are on mission together saying, God, would you work faith in our lives? Would you work your word deep into our lives? Would you do through us what only you can do as you bring your kingdom to be on earth as it is in heaven. God has called us to abundant life. He is good and he desires good things for you. He desires success and prosperity. He desires rest and he desires fruitfulness. He desires shalom and he desires flourishing. He wants to do that in your life, in your family, and in this church. Let's kill the negativity. Let's kill the pessimism. Let's kill the defeatism, and let's say, God, you have brought us from death to life, and we will worship you, and you will take us from life, and you will take us to abundant life, and we will give you the glory for that. We're going to pray together. After we pray, Jordan and Jared are going to come back up. They're going to lead us through a well-known hymn. During that hymn, if one of those offering plates is near you, I need you to pick it up and pass it through the aisles you have a chance to put those guest cards or offering but during this song during this song i pray that god would call you to faith call you to his word call you to his church there's going to be pastors and people down here at the front to pray for you use this time to say god i believe that you are good and i desperately need to experience that in my life and i desperately want to see that happen in your church let's pray together Father, thank you for the time together this morning. Thank you for what it means to gather together as a church and worship. Thank you for those preschool uh, volunteers and teachers that are putting your word uh, into the hearts of our kids. Thank you for those that are serving with our, our children's church as those kids are making friends and learning the word of God. God, I pray that as we move ahead, that we would know that you are good and you desire good for your people. That we would embrace that knowing the gospel is prosperous. And we would experience that. We'd be able to put that on display for the world to see. Not because we are good, but because you are good. Father, use this song, use this reality that Jesus paid it all. Use this to draw us back to what it means to have faith in you. To be committed to your word and to live as the people of God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.